So today we are finishing up our sermon series that we've called God's Creative Communication. And what we've been doing in this sermon series over the last seven weeks, is we've been looking at the creative ways that God speaks, the creative ways that God works, the creative ways that God moves in the lives of God's people. And today we finish up by looking at Genesis chapter 24. Now, in case you didn't realize it, it is the longest chapter in the book of Genesis. And it's all basically one story about how Isaac and Rebekah meet. And rather than have the whole chapter read to you today, I asked them to reduce the number of verses to just a few verses. And then as I heard them read today, I'm like, wow, I didn't even really focus on those verses. But anyway... The title of the sermon is Designing Love, Designing Love. Now, you didn't get this sense from the verses that were read this morning, but if you're familiar with the story at all of Isaac and Rebekah, you know that this is the story of an arranged marriage. An arranged marriage. Now, arranged marriages were nothing unusual in biblical times. But as I sat down to wrestle with what I might say about this passage of Scripture today, I got a great idea. I thought, why not Google and see how prevalent or how common arranged marriages are today throughout the world? And what I found when I Googled it, some of it didn't surprise me at all about where arranged marriages are still very commonplace and expected what did shock me is that there are thousands and thousands of people right here in the good U.S. of A. who line up every year to be considered for arranged marriages. It blew my mind until I realized it's for a reality show. <laughs> and then it all began to make sense. There's a reality show called Married at First Sight. Did you know that? Did you know that one of the relationship experts on this show, Married at First Sight, is a pastor from Atlanta, Georgia? Did you know that I now know what I'm going to do in retirement? <laughs> These religious expert. He represents the spiritual dimension of a relationship. He has two other experts that are a part of the show. One is a sociologist and one is a psychologist. And so what they do is they take all of these applicants who are interested in being a part of an arranged marriage and they try to figure out who is the best fit. And so they look at the psychology, they look at the sociology, they look at the spiritual background, and in the, the year that I pulled up, the random search that I did, whatever season it was, 70,000 people, 70,000 single people signed up to be considered for this arranged marriage. And so what they do is they try to figure out who are the 10 out of the 70,000 that might be perfect matches so that we could get five arranged marriages. And then they bring them together. 
Now, I know probably a lot of people watch this show because they want to see the train wrecks. They want to see all the arranged marriages that come together and just how quickly they go off the rails. But I'm going to tell you, if I were going to watch this show, I think I would watch it for the success stories. I'm a hopeless romantic, in case you didn't know. I like a good love story. In fact, I've told you this before, that one of my favorite things to do when I officiate the wedding of a couple is when I sit the couple down to begin to talk about their special day and what it might look like, one of the first things I want to know is, what's your story? How, how did you meet? How did you fall in love? What led you to believe that the one sitting across from you now was the one that you wanted to spend the rest of your life with? I want to hear that story. And I've heard some wonderful stories through the years. I talked about one a few months ago, just the most recent wedding that I officiated. It was really, really special. And, and, and if these couples, if these people are people of faith, I also want to know, how have you seen God at work in your relationship? How have you seen God creatively working in and through the two of you to bring you to this place today where you desire to pledge your life to one another for the rest of time? I love to hear those stories. And so I thought, why not ask those same two questions of our text today, Genesis chapter 24. How did Isaac and Rebekah meet? And how was God working behind the scenes, creatively speaking, creatively moving, uh, creatively at work in the lives of these two people? Well, I already told you, how they met. It was an arranged marriage. Abraham's wife Sarah had died. Abraham's a little long in the tooth himself. He's getting ready to die. And before he dies, Abraham would love nothing more than to see his son Isaac find a wife. And so he calls his longest tenured servant into his quarters and he says, I want you to go and I want you to find a wife for my son Isaac. And then Abraham gives him spe some specific instructions on how to do this. The first thing Abraham says is that I don't want you to look for him a wife around here. I want you to go back to our homeland. I want you to go back to Haran and find a wife for my son there. Perhaps Abraham wanted him to go back to his homeland because he was afraid that if, if Isaac married one of the local girls, one of those Canaanite women, that, that she might have trouble assimilating into the unique covenantal relationship that God has with Abraham and with Isaac and with all of their descendants. And maybe Abraham's worried that a Canaanite woman just wouldn't understand couldn't fit in, couldn't buy in to this special, unique relationship. Or Abraham could have been worried that if, Abraham, if that Isaac married a Canaanite woman, that, that Isaac might be tempted to turn his back on his God and to pursue one of that Canaanite girl's gods that were quite different than the one true God of Abraham 
and Isaac. And so maybe Abraham's a little worried that, that he'll just follow his wife on into the worship of these other pagan gods. And another instruction that Abraham has for this long-tenured servant is that when you go to Haran to look for this wife, don't you take Isaac with you. And perhaps why he didn't want Isaac to go with the servant is because he's afraid that if Isaac goes back home, that he'll want to stay there. Or he might be worried that if Isaac goes back home and meets a girl from home, that the girl will want to stay there. And then they wouldn't be living in the land that God had promised to Abraham and all of his descendants, the promised land, and, and that would pose a problem. So he tells the servant that he wants him to go back to his homeland, but he wants him to go without Isaac. And so that's exactly what the servant does. The servant begins to head back towards Abraham's homeland. When he arrives at his destination, he goes to the local watering hole. No, not the tavern. The well. The well is where you met young women in a village if you wanted to see who was available. The young women gathered there two times a day to gather water, to fetch water out of the wells for them and for their families. And so the servant realized that if I want to get a sense of who is available out there, the best place to go would be to go to the well. And as the servant is approaching that well, the servant begins to pray to Abraham's God, to his God. And he's asking God to guide him in this important decision. He's not even sure that it's going to be successful. There is no evidence in the Scripture that this was a divine directive, that Abraham or the servant had been told to go find a wife for Isaac. In fact, Abraham even gives the servant an out and says, if you can't find anybody, then you are, you are relieved of any responsibility that you have. He's not sure he's going to be successful, but he's praying to God that he will be. Now, it's normal protocol when you are a stranger going to the well that if you request water to be drawn from the well for you to drink, that the, it would be provided for you. It was just a normal expression of hospitality. And, and so that's not unusual. Now what's unusual is that the servant asked God for a sign that is much bigger than that. The servant says, I, don't, not, I not only want a woman who is willing to provide me with water after my long journey, but I want this woman to water all ten of my camels. Now, in reading some of the commentaries, let's get an idea for what a big ask this is. Apparently, if a camel has gone several days without water, when they finally get water, they can drink up to 25 gallons of water. Now, the little jar that the women would tote back and forth to the well to get water for their families, that was about three gallons. So if you've got ten camels, and you've got camels that hadn't drank water for several days and would drink as much as 25 gallons of water, that's 80 to 100 drawings of water to feed all of those camels. 
It's an outrageous ask of God to give that kind of a sign. And yet, if it happens, then you, by all, you better be believed that that is evidence that God is at work, working behind the scenes, uh, bringing people together, that God is in this relationship and so that's exactly what the servant prays for. And as he is praying, Rebecca shows up with a three-gallon pitcher of water. And not only does she agree to offer him water, but then she says, could I water your camels as well? And the servant knew in his heart that that's exactly what was going on, that this was a God thing. And not only did Rebecca water those camels, she invited the servant to go back to her home and spend the night, which provided him with an opportunity to meet Rebecca's family. And when the servant met Rebecca's family, the servant began to tell them about how God had blessed his master Abraham and how all of those blessings had been passed down to Isaac as well. And, and, and the servant had come prepared to give all these great gifts to Rebecca's family, maybe to pay her back for watering all of those camels at the well, but in all likelihood as the form of paying for the bride. Uh, the, the, they even asked Rebecca in our scripture that you heard read today, are you willing to go back with this guy and be the wife of his servant, of his master Isaac? And she said, I am willing. And so she goes back, and we're told that Isaac's taking a walk in the evening breeze when all of a sudden he looks up and he sees these ten camels coming. And then he sees Rebecca get off of that camel and put a veil on her face, which we believe was some sort of symbolism that she was preparing to be married to Isaac. And then the servant comes up to Isaac and begins to tell him about the mission that Abraham had sent him on to find Isaac, a wife, and about this prayer that he prayed as he was beginning the search to look for Isaac's wife and how God had answered that prayer and how that Rebekah was now coming to him. And we're told that Isaac invited Rebekah into his mother Sarah's tent as a way of symbolizing that she is about to become the new matriarch for this family of the promise, this family of the covenant. And the writer of Genesis ends the chapter by saying that she was very pleasing to Isaac and that Isaac grew to love her very much. The reason why I think this biblical story is included for us in the sacred scripture is because the same God who brought light out of darkness, the same God that brought a child out of barrenness, is the same God that can bring love out of an arranged marriage. It is the same God that is oftentimes at work behind the scenes cultivating and moving and speaking and working in ways to bring fruitful relationships together. It's a way of, of demonstrating that God has a personal interest in us having relationships that bless us and pour into us. Isaac and Rebecca were not a perfect marriage. They had their issues. 
But God still worked through this relationship. God still spoke through this relationship. God still carried out the covenantal promise through this relationship because God desires to enrich our lives and God desires to work in and through relationships around us. That's not to say that every one of us is supposed to get married. Some of you are smart enough not to, right? But, but what it is to say is that whether it's a marital relationship or a friend relationship or just a part of being a part of the body of Christ kind of relationship, that God has a personal interest in blessing your life with relationships that further you in the way that God longs for you to go. And what it means is that God is at work behind the scenes, working in creative ways in and through these relationships. And that God can, can do great things. It's a reminder to not take relationships for granted. It's a reminder to be prayerful of and and I looking toward what God might do in and through the relationships around us. And it's my prayer that we might be aware of just how these relationships bless us and how God might work through them to help us become more like the people that God longs for us to be.